Greetings and salutations, creature lovers. This is Mr. Venom welcoming you to episode 12 of No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. Joining me as usual are my two cohorts coming to you from the Horror Countdown podcast. It's Mr. Doninelli. How you doing, Don? Yeah, what's well, great. Great to uh, have everyone back together again. Definitely, definitely. This feels great. And making his return after missing one episode, Mr. Derek B. from the Cinema Attack Podcast. How you doing, buddy? Hey, yo. I'm back. <laughs> hey, we're, we're not doing Alligator. Why is Razor Ramon here? He's always here when I'm here. Oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. So it, it feels like it's been a while since we've been here. We've had to take a little bit of a hiatus due to scheduling conflicts. Uh, the last time you heard from us, we did a bonus episode where Don and myself looked at three films that played at the Fantasia Film Fest earlier this year. Of course, our friend Derek wasn't able to make that episode, but Derek was able to go ahead and watch a couple of the movies that we talked about. And I was hoping that he would be able to chime in with his general thoughts on those just as a quick opening segment to because, I mean, those two movies were, in me and Don's opinion, I mean, they were both great, so we're both very curious to see what uh, Derek thought of those. So, Derek, why don't you come chime in? Uh, let's start with what to do with a dead kaiju. Okay, so this is going to be, like, just my general thoughts, because it's been a while since I watched these movies, <laughs> to be fair, as you know, we when we were supposed to record that. But uh, what would you do with a dead kaiju? I thought it was a very... It wasn't having, like, that kaiju action throughout it, but it was kind of interesting still, kind of looking up, yeah, this is, like, how do they clean these up? <laughs> you know, it was kind of interesting aspect. I, you know, I never actually thought when I watched, like, 9,000 kaiju movies, and I'm actually, it's kind of like when I watched Man of Steel for the first time, and you're like, who's going to rebuild all these buildings? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. It's kind of like that aspect that I kind of liked. You know, it's kind of like more political satire drama, mm-hmm. the movie itself. But and it kept me enthralled. I'll give it that. You know, it was you know, it was, it was kind of a little too long though. But overall, I really did enjoy it for what it was, and mm-hmm. it, it made me think. <laughs> I like when movies make me think in a genre that I usually don't have to think in. No, that's valid. Absolutely. I, I kind of thought of that myself. Didn't mention it during the show, but yeah, a kaiju movie that makes you think is uh, pretty interesting. Definitely a cool addition to the uh, subgenre. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I was, was going to say, I was going to say, it definitely feels more like a comedic take on Shin Godzilla, kind of like they'd be like an odd double bill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I'm all right with that. <laughs> All right, Derek. And the other movie, of course, was the movie of the episode, the film that Don and I pretty much filleted for the entire episode. It is, of course, Shin Godzilla. So, Derek, did Shin you Ultraman. love it as much? Huh? Shin Ultraman. God damn it. Not Shin Godzilla. <laughs> I got I got see somebody mentioned Godzilla. And now I got Godzilla on the brain. Sorry. <laughs> Shin Ultraman. Yes, sir. To, to be fair, which is I thought it was the fucking awesome as part of the fucking movie it was the whole opening. Or like yes. the old visitor Q, uh, Ultra Q fucking title card came up and it said Shin Godzilla, Shin Ultra Man. I was like, yes, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> and I love how like a, uh, I don't know how spoiler I could go on this, but that whole fucking opening Gomez, the fucking 
<laughs> that was a great homage to the original creation of that suit. That was awesome. Absolutely. I mean, everything that they brought in from the original series between transition cards and sound effects and everything else, I, it's just, it was nostalgic as fuck. That's for sure. And, yeah. and in the best possible way. Yeah, the effects are great. Gucci was, is always great when he does his effects. And it was just a great experience. I, I can't wait to rewatch it. Spoiler alert for, like, a, you know, the spoiler of the screener is a big giant fucking watermark in the middle of the screen. And they made exactly. the subtitles the same color. So it's like, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> so hopefully when I get to watch it without that watermark, I'll, you know, be able to take out on some dialogue because it's kind of. Like, why did you make the fucking dialogue the same as the fucking watermark color? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's kind of annoying that aspect. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But, you know, but I can't mm-hmm. wait to rewatch the movie in general. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. I, I can say uh, somebody that does this for a living, um, I, I kind of got immune to it, so I never even really noticed, and I never really thought how others would deal with it. Because, I mean, I, I get that all the time. I mean, 95% of what I watch has that, so it's not like it's a big deal for me. But, yeah, I never took that into consideration. And, I mean, I never even put much thought into it, how somebody like, you know, you guys who don't do it for a living, how you guys deal with it. So, yeah, I never thought Honestly, of that. Yeah, honestly, the watermark only bothered me for like a minute and a half. And literally, once the action started, I didn't even notice it. I legitimately didn't even notice it the whole yeah, movie. I'm just yeah, so into it. It was more like, so into like it, yeah. heavy dialogue scenes, whereas like, kind of, like I said, if they made like the subtitles a different color, it would have been probably a little less noticeable in those scenes, if that, that makes sense. Absolutely. No, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure you're going to get another chance to watch it, because Don and I kind of unofficially said that we would definitely like to review that once it gets a U.S. release, because uh, that is just that that's just a definition of a of a damn good time. That film, you know, if you're a Kaiju fan, there's just no reason to not yeah. love that new Ultraman film. So who knows? It might be one of the first Kaiju movies that we decide to do. We'll see. We'll we see got how Shin Kamen Rider coming out, too. That's fucking yeah, that one I'm not as excited about only because I don't really follow the franchise as much as, like, you know, Ultraman and Godzilla, but... Yeah, that, I actually know more about the sequel series uh, Master Rider, the U.S. reboot. I actually know that more than the Japanese yeah. version, so... Yeah, I, I, I know it's gone on just as long as Ultraman. Uh, the Common Rider stuff, I think it appeared, like, maybe two or three years later. And it's still ongoing, but yeah, um, being able to catch them has been far more difficult just because there's a lack of availability. So yeah, I I don't know much about Common Rider. I actually know more about Mass Rider, the U.S. reboot. So. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think you actually dig it a lot. The, the, a lot. Some of the series actually mix a lot of horror elements to them too. It's not just stray like kaiju or you know takasasu they actually mix a good blend of like body horror in there too which i was kind of shocked when watching some of the series uh and uh yeah it's actually kind of cool that a lot more of it's actually coming out lately because shout factory i think's putting out the whole library sooner because oh so they're doing that once they're done with the uh power ranger stuff or the sentai one well yeah they they actually released two of the series on Blu-ray, they released a newer series. Oh, and, I, I I haven't paid much attention to them. Yeah, and they just it's, released Kuga, Ultraman Kuga on Blu-ray. They hate one of the Heisei series. So, hmm. 
Yeah, because I'm saying I'm trying to go through the the Mill Creek um, Ultraman stuff. I think I'm up to Tiga now. Yeah, I got to pick up some more of those too. I kind of yeah, because I because everything's just fucking coming out lately. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, because I I, I I've been staying. I was trying to catch up with the uh, Ultraman stuff because they switched to DVD for some reason. I think it was but, something to do with like the prints of the actual quality, which makes no sense because it's the newer stuff. So you'd think that'd be easier to switch to Blu-ray, but yeah, either or, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I've gotten more caught up with the uh, Ultraman stuff, and I haven't checked up on Shout Factory with the Power Man stuff, because I knew that they were doing the Super Sentai ones, the original versions. Yeah. I didn't know that they were done with that, and they moved on to Common Rider. So if they'd done, I'd, I'd have to check, I'll check those out, because I haven't been able to find that series as easily. So yeah, if they're doing that, then yeah, I'll try to switch over and catch those, too. Yeah, get Kuga. It's it's fun. Cool. I'll, I'll make that one of my uh, first priorities then. Oh yeah. Very cool. So thank you, Derek, for that. Now that we're all caught up with Derek's views on our Fantasia Fest films that Don and I covered on the last episode, let's go ahead and move on with episode twelve. There you are. Hold on. You're going home. Let's get this crate out of here. They don't know what they have. We don't know what they have. Did they let that thing loose? Think it's a good idea we release this animal near a cemetery? Friends are up there filming a movie project at the cemetery. At that cemetery. You've got to kill it. It'll be back. This episode is one of Derek's picks. Derek picked this movie for us. And the film that we're talking about this week is Cemetery Gates from 2009. Uh, This film is unrated, runtime of one hour, 32 minutes. Uh, Its synopsis is as follows. A genetically mutated Tasmanian devil is liberated by two eco-activists and set loose in a woodland cemetery. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Derek and ask Derek, uh, you know, what, why did you go ahead and pick this one? And once you go over that, go ahead and start with your general thoughts, buddy. Yeah, sure. Uh, I don't, this is kind of like a movie that's not talked about as much. It's from a two, early 2000s area. 2006, actually, which we actually just recorded a year on that on the summer series, Venom, ironically enough. <laughs> but uh, this is a movie that came out of nowhere for me because, you know, I was, it was t- during that time period where, you know, most of these, like, creature features from this time period were, like, not so great CGI, let's be honest. And 
I just love that this fucking Tasmanian devil is just a dude in a suit. <laughs> it's fucking great. <laughs> they just went the old around with it. And it's fucking funny and shockingly fucking gory as fuck. The skills in this movie are fucking awesome. <laughs> but uh, funny cameos to fucking stoner Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger out of nowhere. <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah, that came out of nowhere. Yeah, and you know. Reggie Banister just playing Reggie Banister. <laughs> fucking great. Is <laughs> that what he plays in every movie? Yeah. He's just a Balden ice cream man. You know? <laughs> He's a scientist in this one. And, Very cool. You know, it's just a, like a, you know, like a lower key creature feature that I know a lot of people probably don't know about. And I kind of, you know, it's, a fu- it's fun. You know, it's nothing mind-blowing of a story or anything, but you know, I I, just, I thought the setting of having it in a cemetery was kind of interesting, because you don't really see creature features in a fucking cemetery either, you know, it was kind of a mm-hmm. interesting setting for a movie, kind of for the spooky season per se, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the teen characters are fucking annoying, but kind of uh, funny with the sex jokes with the lollipop. <laughs> God. <laughs> I felt like this movie was made for 15-year-old boys at times. <laughs> I felt like a 15-boy watching it. I'll be honestly fair. Eh, back. That's actually valid. <laughs> yeah, you know, but is, is it perfect? But no, by any means, it's not. I'm not going to say that this movie is a fucking 10 out of 10 or anything, but if you're just looking for something on like a late-night preacher feature and you're kind of sick of, like, CGI heavy creature features. This one's got the goods in some of the other apartments. The gore and the kills are great. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Don, why don't you come on in here? What'd you think of Cemetery? Yeah, uh, this was one that I heard about uh, years ago. Um, I actually was, um, I remember watching a TV series. I think it was uh, called Monster Man or something like that on uh cleve hall the the effects artist and like the Mm day-to-day lives and him and they i remember one episode where he was talking with uh, this guy roy and he was talking about how one of the effects that uh, cleve was trying to do was something that he did on a past film of his called cemetery gates and that was like the first i'd ever heard of it because i you know i wasn't really like as in-depth on like the indie scene uh back then so he was when he was talking about that it kind of like made me want to like look it up because he was he was doing something for like a uh neck splatter thing where like the i think it was like some guy who was, who was getting his like neck ripped open but it wasn't like one piece it was like three or four gatches like like the claws on the creature were like ripping his throat open and he was trying to like get all of like the wounds to like geyser out at the same time and he was saying that it was something similar to like the film that he was doing uh, at cemetery gates which was kind of what brought me into the film but um i i'd never been able to see it but that was like the first i'd ever heard of it so yeah, this was uh pretty interesting. I, I can't say it's you know like Derek said, it's not one of the greatest. Uh, some of the you know some of the effects don't uh, stand up. They you know definitely have their low budget charms to it. But overall, I had more fun with it than I thought. Uh, some of the sex jokes get a little grating. Uh, some of the characters do kind of teeter on that. Are they charming? Are they aggravating? Kind of scale. But 
Uh, yeah, if I, I, I go along with the ride long enough to, you know, be entertained by it. Uh, I, I do like the movie shoot that they're trying to do. Um, I would have liked to have seen the full-length version if they weren't uh, attacked by the creature. Um, <laughs> yeah, the kills are fantastic. Uh, you know, again, if you you know let the low-budget charm work its magic on you, it's a lot of fun. To me, it's still like a notch below um, like the Sci-Fi Channel stuff, which uh, this definitely feels uh, very much in mind of, like the Chupacabra Terror and Mammoth and Frankenfish and um, mm-hmm. some of the other stuff, uh, Snakehead Terror that they were doing around that time that were some of my favorite films of the entire year. Um, yeah, it's just a notch below, but yeah, the I, I do have to give it marks. They, you know... Cheesy man in suit effects look great. Uh, you know the over the top gore is fantastic. Maybe if the you know characters were rewritten a little bit differently and the you know they weren't you know over the top prepubescent jocks. Uh, you know be into it a little bit more. But yeah, as an under the radar creature feature, it definitely fits the bill. Um, like you were saying earlier, as a uh, counterintuitive to the CGI heavy stuff, it's a fun alternative. I like I said, I, I'm just I, I put it a notch below just for like they said the the few other issues that pop up but uh overall i had more fun with it than uh, i anticipated so yeah nice call well for me this was a first time watch in fact i've never even heard of this film before derek brought it up i just completely missed my radar and as i'm watching this today it kind of felt like the tale of two movies on the first part you've got this great creature feature you've got an amazing creature design which i genuinely loved I thought every shot of this creature was great, be it a full body shot or a close up of the face or one of its paws or whatever the case may be. I thought this creature looked amazing. These kills are spectacular, bloody, gory. I mean, some of these kills, it's the type of kills where you question, does the human body even have that much blood in it? But that usually makes for a fun, you know, creature feature scene. So when it comes to the creature feature stuff, when it comes to the kills, top notch, absolutely top notch, A plus. I loved it. Then it's the story. And this movie just, I feel like Don and Derek maybe are downplaying it a little bit because every scene in this film that didn't involve our Tasmanian devil just, it was grating on me. I hated every single person in this movie. I understand why movies like this are made where they make all the characters hateable so that, you know, you kind of want to see him die and it becomes like a good time, a good cheer moment, you know, whatever the case may be. But just about everyone in this movie, I even had problems with the protagonist, with the two people in the film that we're supposed to like. I mean, for fuck's sake, that girl tells another girl that the guy is gay because she wants her. She wants him herself. I, that's that's kind yeah. of shitty to me. I, and then the, like practically is accused of it and doesn't even comment on it. It's just like, a, whatever. And then, and then the guy himself is such a wishy washy little bitch. It's like fucking defend yourself once in a while, dude. I, and I'm talking the first half of the movie, like with his friends, I'm not necessarily talking about uh, the creature attacking him. Just his friends constantly calling him gay, constantly making fun of his filmmaking and his aspirations. And it's like, how do you call these people friends? I'd have slapped the shit out of every person in this movie within 10 minutes of meeting them. So, yeah, like I said, this is a tale of two movies. It's the, the frustration of waiting 
for the creature to show up, but then when the creature does show up, it's the elation of this beautiful scene and just such a, a absolute guilty pleasure. It's even hard to call it a guilty pleasure because it's so well made as far as the kill scenes and the and the gore and the blood and everything else. It's so well made. Like I said, I've already said it's top notch and I, I'm sticking to that. It looks beautiful, but God damn this movie. I, I kind of look at it as this is a great creature feature, but it's a terrible movie. Because I like story. I, 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 I understand that there's a place for movies like this, and that's fine. If you like gore fests that have no story, stuff like the original Terrifier or any of the guinea pig movies, I mean, yeah, those are just gore for gore's sake. And, you know, if that's your thing, that's fine. I myself like a story with my movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hence Terrifier 2 being one of my favorite movies of the goddamn year. But that's a story for another podcast. We'll leave that one alone. But... Yeah, I, I like I like compelling characters. I like likable characters. Like I, I I'm the kind of person who needs at least one character that I can get behind. You know, you know, maybe they're a broken individual that doesn't necessarily know what they're doing or, you know, maybe somebody, you know, dealing with drugs like, you know, in the recent Hellraiser film, whatever the case may be. The point is, is I like those kind of character arcs. I like when characters evolve as the film goes along, it's not just business as usual, you know, when the film is over, like there's been legitimate character changes. And I like that. And in this movie, God damn it. This movie really is just one of those that if you, if you want to watch a great creature feature, check this out. But yeah, these, these characters are just awful. The kids making the movie are awful. The rednecks are awful. Um, the fisherman is awful. The stoners, <laughs> probably the most entertaining part of the film is the stoners, is Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger. I mean, the only time I chuckled this entire movie was when he had his trip and he saw the Tasmanian devil as that cute little, you know, kawaii little animation. I, yeah. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. That had me laughing. Absolutely. That was funny as hell. Uh, you know, and he's actually calling it over. Oh, hey, buddy, how you doing? Come here, I got something for you. I, yeah, that that had me rolling absolutely. But I got to say, when it comes to the human interactions in the rest of the film, not much of it is uh, is very entertaining. And goddamn, if that one redneck, uh, the brother who actually had half a brain, my god, was he overacting? I mean, Jesus. <laughs> Every single line that he read, I'm like, what is wrong with this person? Like, they just don't know how to act like a normal human being. And I understand that's kind of a hierarchy. You know, when you've got redneck brothers, one of them is a dumbass and one of them is kind of the ringleader or whatever. That's fine. But God, it was just his acting in general. Like, Jesus, I I thought the dumbass was a way better actor. Uh, I don't know. I just thought he was just a little over the top, too hammy. And every single time he read a line, I had to roll my eyes. It was just so much cringe in this movie. It's amazing. But like I said, since it since it is peppered with some amazing kills and some beautiful, all practical creature effects, it's well worth it. You know, it's it's worth dealing with five to ten minutes of these absolutely vapid, empty headed dipshits just to see one of them get chopped in half or cut into pieces or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, it's definitely a tale of two films. If it sounds like something that you can handle, then, yeah, I would highly recommend it. I mean, we, we've all praised this, the gore and the and the creature effects. Ultimately, there's not really much else to speak of in the film. The acting is terrible. The cinematography is terrible. The score, eh, not really great. I mean, it's there, but it, it's not like it's exceptional in any way. Yeah, it's kind um, of generic. 
Mm. Yeah, the editing. Some of the some of the scenes where the creature is actually attacking people, the editing is very disjointed and kind of mm. hard to tell what's. Kind of, it has you know, that. It has that feel of like mid two thousand straight to video. Yeah, yeah, Which is exactly what it is. But I mean, yeah, it, it it hits all the boxes for all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's not you know high level material on any kind. You're just you're there for one reason, and if you look beyond that, there's not much else to it. Which yeah, it kind of reminds me when I like, revisited fucking uh, what was that movie? Uh, Drive through. It kind of had the same yes. feel of that movie with the, even with the characters and how they talk to each other and shit. So yeah, it kind of, I, I noticed it a lot more on this rewatch because I noticed it on when I rewatched Drive Through recently because we just did it on a show. And yeah, like I said, not this is a weird movie because I almost don't know how to review it. I feel like I've been as honest as I possibly could be. It's just. It's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what can I, what can I say? Um, I feel like I'll be reiterating that point multiple times throughout this episode. But um, let's get into the story a little bit. Um, our movie opens up with uh, our friend Reggie Bannister, that we all know from Phantasm and other great horror films, uh, playing Belmont. He is a scientist who has created – well, maybe not created – he basically imported a Tasmanian devil from Australia and basically just started um, playing with its genetics because Tasmania and they explain it in the film that because Tasmanian devils can eat anything living or dead, that their immune systems must be just like, you know, hyperactive. And they were trying to figure out a way to maybe potentially utilize that um, crazy uh, metabolism and, and just its ability to heal and everything else and to fight virus and potentially use it in human applications. Obviously, this is a horror film. Nothing ever goes right when science and horror get together. And, you know, the, the inevitable happens during the opening scene. A couple of uh, eco, I call them eco-terrorists, ultimately, because of what they did. But basically, just like the folks in, um, what was it, in that first... Uh, 28 Days Later. 28 Days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Don. You knew exactly what I was thinking. That opening scene of 28 Days with these idiots breaking into a lab and letting these creatures out. It's like, what is your end game? This doesn't even make sense that you're just all you're really doing is fucking up research and you're probably killing those animals anyway. Because what, what are they going to live in the city or they've been in captivity their whole life? And then you actually take it out to the wild. It's going to die in a couple hours. It's going to get attacked by a natural predator because it doesn't know how to avoid natural predators. Yeah. So, and more importantly, uh, ultimately, really, well, the other factor is <laughs> you're releasing a, a predator on its own right. I mean, the thing is, you know, known to be able to eat anything. So. Either it's going to decimate the local population anyway, or it's going to get eaten. So, exactly. And these two dopes, uh, these uh, they were posing as security guards, uh, and man, they're just—I mean—they look right at a document that's basically talking about the creature, and they're looking at all the lists of all the different genetic enhancements that it's had and everything else, and they still decide, oh, it's it's just a bear. I mean, it even has the animal class name on the sheet. And they still just assume it's a bear. But the thing is, even if it is just a bear, why the fuck are you fucking with a bear? I mean, if as soon as you release it from the truck, it's probably just going to attack you, you idiot. Yeah. It's just, yeah, these eco-terrorist types don't make a lot of sense, but whatever. So, yeah, they release. Movies. Exactly. They release our creature and uh, we find out that our creature's name is Precious, which is almost adorable. We also find out that this creature uh, was actually a family pet 
of uh, our star Hunter Belmont, who is the son of Reggie, Ban- Reggie Bannister's son in this film. Uh, it is his 21st birthday. And throughout the course of the film, we find out that Precious was a pet of theirs, but that at some point it attacked his mother and killed his mother, leaving him motherless and then basically ruining his relationship with his father. Because after that, his father was, you know, Reggie was very distant and, you know, not really much of a dad to the point that he didn't even he didn't even realize it was his son's 21st birthday when the movie started. Like, he literally didn't realize it. And, you know, that that's interesting when a parent doesn't realize it's their kid's 21st birthday. That's a big one. That's a major birthday. So what our friend uh, Hunter decides to do on his birthday, what else do you do on your birthday? You shoot a zombie movie. Duh. Hell yeah. So he, mm-hmm. <laughs> he gets a bunch of friends together. He gets some equipment together. And, and goddamn, if his friends aren't just the absolute worst. I mean, you've got uh, – and, and I didn't – I didn't memorize anybody's name because I really don't care <laughs> that much. But I mean, you've got you, you've you've got the like the badass jock type who's like the uh, the alpha male of the group, if you will, hitting on the hot chick, constantly making fun of Hunter, blah blah blah. You have his little buddy, his toady, his little toady that basically agrees with everything he says and basically follows him around like a little puppy dog, he, even to the point where this guy at one point lays next to a half naked girl and this idiot comes and just jumps on the other side of the girl like she actually wants this, at least not at this point. So, yeah, some vapid characters here. We're also introduced to. Uh, Kim, who is, I guess, the sweetheart of the group, you know, she she has feelings for Hunter. She she has such strong feelings for Hunter that she was sure that the that the hot girl that they brought with them was going to hit on him. So she tells him that he's gay. She convinces this woman that he's gay, which, like I said, it sounds sweet at first that, oh, she wants him for herself, you know, but but no, that's fucked up. Think about that. If one of your best friends told someone that you potentially were interested in that they that you were gay so that they could be with you themselves, that just ooh, I I would not like that person very much uh, in general. (laughs) So already we've already started out with some great characters. Um, I did forget to mention the hot chick. You know, again, she's your average vapid blonde, big tits, no brain. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, just fine. (laughs) <laughs> every movie, every movie needs. Well, every horror movie needs one anyway. So I, you know, again, it, it's expected. But God damn, this girl was so. This girl was beyond stupid. Like I've met some dumb women in my. I've met some dumb people in my life, but this woman just takes the goddamn. Cake. That's why you just have to fuck some brains into them. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, God damn it, get some smart DNA in that woman. Is he going down that popsicle though? Jesus Christ! Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the lollipop. Holy shit! She literally at one point in the film, this woman takes a lollipop, like a Charms blow pop, literally puts it between her tits and starts sucking on it like it's a dick. You know the traditional you know tit fucking scene that we've all seen in porn at some point. And I'm just like, she's doing this on purpose. But then as the movie goes along, I realize no goddamn she's not doing it on purpose she's just that stupid she doesn't realize that she's turning on every guy around her even to the point where they're like ogling her and drooling and she's still completely oblivious to the fact that she's turning these guys on so yeah that's kind of what you're looking at for characterization in the, in this film uh we mentioned howard berger and greg nicotero both show up in the film obviously they do the effects for this film because these effects are great i mean of course k and b did these effects i'm not even sure if k and b existed as a company at this point but 
this is two thirds of KMB in this film. So you're introduced to a couple of other characters. You know, you've got these uh, you've got the owner of the cemetery who has leased out the cemetery to this film crew so they can make their little movie. But then as soon as once they're like away from him, he tells his sons, his two redneck idiot sons to just go ahead and rob them. So, yeah, I mean, th- this is the quality of people that we got in this film. So, yeah, this is what I mean about I, I have a hard time getting behind any character in this movie because Let's ultimately, talk about your favorite like, character then. Let's talk about your favorite well, character, the fisherman. The fisherman, God, Danny Elfman's brother. I didn't even know Danny Elfman's brother acted, honestly. And then I look at his IMDb and he's got a nice long list of credits. He's directed 17 movies. I couldn't get over it. He's actually got two movies in post-production right now. So, yeah, what was his name? Richard, right? Richard Elfman? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it is Richard. But, yeah, fucking Danny Elfman's brother plays this just traditional, you know, again, just hick, redneck. Uh, you know, missing teeth, constantly carrying a fishing pole everywhere he goes. It, it, it's just very Andy Griffith, if if you ask me. And I'm an old man, so yes, I can use that <laughs> reference. So, like I said, that, that's the quality of characters that you're getting in this movie. Of course, once Precious escapes, it basically just becomes a body count film. We just go around killing people left and right. People are getting decapitated. People are getting limbs ripped off. People are getting torsos just completely torn to bits to in one death to the point where the heart actually came flying out of the body because Precious was just ravaging this girl's chest. And like I said, at one point, her heart just popped out, still beating. Great like, effect, I wanted by to ravage her cat chest, you know? <laughs> there you go. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, like I said, we, we, we just have, uh, you know, kill after kill after kill. We do have one kill in the movie that the bear only in. Or, did I say bear? I'm sorry. You did. That, that precious. I did. They called it a bear in the movie, so they got me. I got bear on the brain again. There is one kill in the movie that the bear is only in. I fucking said it again. That the <laughs> that the Tasmanian devil is partially responsible for. At one point, our two redneck brothers tie up one of the uh, film crew, the Toady, with the intention of robbing them, of of taking their van with all their camera equipment and everything else. Unfortunately, they tied him up to a tombstone that had a very loose top part to it, like the cross, the spire, whatever you want to call it, was basically loose. At one point, Precious actually just comes by and scratches her ass. She literally is just rubbing her ass, which we, you know, we've all seen bears rub their ass against a tree. So now we've got a giant Tasmanian devil rubbing its ass against a tombstone. That works, and though. yeah, hey, man, you got to scratch that shit. So eventually, Precious scratch like puts so much pressure on the tombstone with its ass that the part, the top part, the spire that's loose, just falls and crushes the kid's head. So one of the funniest kills in the movie, honestly. I, I laugh my ass off because I'm, like, you know, because because then I'm thinking to myself, like, are the rednecks responsible for that kill? Like, would they be in a court of law? Would they be responsible? Because they tied him up there and technically he wouldn't be there. <laughs> Granted, Precious was going to kill him regardless. I mean, that's kind of the way these movies go. But yeah. it just got me thinking about the legality of that. kill. <laughs> I don't know why. But yeah, there it is. So eventually we do get to a, you know, kind of a standoff where uh, Reggie, his assistant, and Hunter and the girl that likes Hunter are t- all together. They're, our, they're the last four survivors of the film. 
and they are basically um, traversing these underground tunnels. They talk about an old mine that collapsed in this town, killing a bunch of miners, and they never filled in those tunnels. Like, all those access tunnels are still there. Plus, they talk about a flood where some some of the miners drown. So, I mean, th- this whole the tunnel system is all jacked up. And uh, basically, our final scene, after the entire film takes place in broad daylight, which I will give the film credit for, because of all the great practical effects, they had the luxury to film three quarters of this uh, movie in broad daylight. And I love that. So, yeah. you know, kudos. But then, you know, we kind of lose all that good faith and we go into the tunnels and, you know, it's all dark and the only light is the flashlights that our characters brought with us. Eventually they get Precious cornered or, well, <laughs> should I say Precious gets them cornered. Uh, she kills Dr. Belmont's assistant first after she unsuccessfully tries to tranquilize it with a with a dark gun and it does nothing. It, even after she shot it twice and Precious didn't even react uh she still continues holding the gun on precious the entire way as precious is literally creeping towards her very nonchalantly i'm gonna kill you i'm gonna kill you and she's not running she's not trying to reload the dart gun like literally she's just holding the gun on the almost like all high precious is all high like hey i need something to eat i got these fucking major munchies right now well, that's true. Yeah, he ate a couple. I mean, because the film crew, most of the kids on the film crew have been smoking like mad. The fisherman was a pothead. The rednecks were a pothead. So this poor Tasmanian devil's got to be so stoned right now. Just he ate way too many edibles. Yeah, <laughs> so, he did. <laughs> so we do get our final conf- confrontation. Uh, as I already mentioned, the assistant gets killed. Uh, Reggie Hunter and Hunter's little girlfriend are able to get out of the tunnels while they were in the tunnels. They found some or should I say Reggie found some uh, a few sticks of dynamite that were still dry and usable. And of course, that's basically how we, uh, you know, end our film. Our three last survivors are able to get out of the tunnels. Precious is right there at the tunnel entrance trying to, you know, snap at them and drag them back down into the hole. Eventually, they're able to put a piece of gate over the hole, kind of trapping Precious down there. And they throw the dynamite down there, which, by the way, was this like the smallest explosion ever for three fucking sticks of dynamite? (laughs) That was three sticks of dynamite taped together. And it literally blew up like it was an M8. Yeah, the one in the Goonies was like a fucking giant nuclear bomb. And it was just one. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of weird. And, and also, it blew up right away. Like, they, like literally, somebody lit the light. I forget who lit it. It might have been, it might have been Hunter. Lights it, throws it in the hole, instant explosion. Like, like there was no wait time whatsoever. And, uh, you know, of course, our three survivors, you know, think that you know, everything is well. They go ahead and leave. And we do get a little bit of an epitaph scene that shows uh, Precious kind of coming out of that tunnel through the gate and, you know, alive and well. They do mention at one point in the film that Precious is able to regenerate her wounds. Like whenever she gets injured, she uh, because of her makeup and all the genetic mutations and everything, she's basically like Wolverine. She's got mutant healing factor now. Yeah. But yeah, when they threw the dynamite down there, I'm thinking, is anybody going to go down there and make sure they, they that they got the job done? But nope, they all they, they all just agree. OK, Precious is dead. Let's leave. And of course, like I said, we get our epitaph with uh, Precious jumping into the camera 
And that's our film, folks. Pretty quick story. I mean, not a whole lot to this story, but still very entertaining kill scenes, a great creature. I didn't hate Reggie in this movie. Obviously, Reggie's character, you know, he's kind of a dis- disconnected dad, doesn't really care much about his only child in favor of, you know, his scientific experiments. He still seemed like the most organic character in the whole movie. Like he, he felt to me, it felt like he was the only person not overacting. Like yeah. I talked about that one, you know, I talked about the alpha male in the crew. He's the worst example by far. Oh, and then the the brother too, the uh, the the smarter of the two redneck brothers. Incredible overacting, but at least Reggie kind of kept it grounded. You know, you can see even though you know Reggie is really a uh, more of a veteran of B horror films, but he still brings a little bit of charm and charisma to his roles. Ultimately, you know, he's he's one of the old guard of horror, so and you know we always love seeing him. So, oh, well, what else you guys got? Anything else you want to talk about with this one? Fun movie? No, I was gonna say it, it's not exactly you know like the award winning kind of thing, like the under the radar hidden gem. But I mean, it, it's a fun little ride. It's not you know a terrible time waster. You know, you're not gonna be bored by it. You know, unless you absolutely just hate the guys, the characters so much that you don't even care if they die. You know, the pace is zippy enough that it's not gonna you know be like a you know terrible time crunch. Absolutely. Yeah. Solid 90 minutes. You know, it it does. It tells the story it wants to tell and it leaves. It doesn't linger. So I'll definitely give it credit for that. Derek, anything else you wanted to add? Hell yes. Yeah. I agree with whatever has been said here. I'm not that kind of guy. that's like, Oh, my movie didn't get liked. That was the old me. You know, I'm the, I'm a new and improved Derek. Yeah. I can see the flaws in it. And, but I still have fun with it for what it is, you know. It's nothing. What it is. I'm glad I own it on DVD. God knows whenever I'll fucking find this on cable somewhere, you know. It's kind of yeah. hard to, you know. Yeah, I, I I heard about it like almost a decade ago. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it since. So it's yeah, not one that shows up on TV all that often, YouTube or something. But I don't check there. So yeah, and. and I even know a great movie to pair with this one, <laughs> Dino Wolf. That sounds oh, Dire Wolf. Yeah, Dire Wolf. Yeah, that one's a lot of fun. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I saw Dire. Yeah, Dire Wolf was like one of the last sci-fi ones, I think. Yeah. Or maybe oh, it was, was it? Okay. Or, yeah. Like Olin Ray. I know that. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking of something else. And maybe it's like one of the other ones that showed up like right around like the late night, late two thousands. Yeah, it kind of has a, it's a dude in a suit. It's kind of gory, too. <laughs> Even though and the characters in that movie, wow, I can't wait to let him watch his fucking, that would fucking Maxfield Clawfield playing a fucking mentally handicapped sheriff. Hey, I like him. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, it's weird. It's like, you oh, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and... You know, for me, obviously, I I still say it's a fun movie. I'm not going to say that I regretted my 90 minutes. Not at all. This is the kind of movie where you can get together with a bunch of friends, have a really good time with the kills, and then just make fun of all the characters the rest of the movie. Like, I think I would have had a good time had I watched this, at least even with my wife, because my wife hates, you know, vapid, empty-headed horror movie characters just as much as I do. So, you know, at least it might have been a little bit more fun had I had someone here with me, you know, laughing at it and everything else. But ultimately, the movie is what it is. You know, it's solid creature feature. Definitely 
maybe not must viewing, you know, by any stretch, but still, you know, if if you're a creature feature fan and you're looking for some of those hidden and I say hidden gems in the sense of the creature feature, not in the sense of the entire film. But it, I would still call this a hidden gem because I, I had never heard of it before this. And I have to admit, it's some of the best kill scenes I've seen in a creature feature in a long time. But worth the 90 minutes if you can find it. Like Derek said, not the easiest movie to find. But if you do, have fun with it. <laughs> and if you ever want to watch it, folks, just private message me. Wink, wink. Hey, there you go. Hit up Derek. That's how we all got to watch it. So, yeah, definitely yeah. awesome. Thank you very much for that, Derek. Although, uh, um, like I said before, no, uh, do, um, like I said, uh, do check the legal services like Tubi or YouTube first just to throw money their way. But, uh, yeah, uh, that was uh, the that, that was the method that we used to procure it. So uh, that that is uh, Plan B. Mm-hmm. But uh, try the legal sources uh, for Plan A first. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Especially because most of the most of the obscure movies that I watch on YouTube always look terrible. It's always like a not not the greatest rip. I'm not sure if it, you know. Obviously, we didn't watch this on YouTube, so not sure yeah. if it exists there. But if it does, I'm hopefully you get a good version. Because I know there, I'm kind of shocked this isn't on like Tubi or like Amazon. Because I know like because it's from the makers of Boo, and that movie's always on fucking those two channels. <laughs> it might be on Tubi. I, I looked on Amazon. It definitely wasn't there, but it, it could be on Tubi. I'm, I'm a weird guy. I, I appreciate Tubi for what it is, but I hate commercial breaks. I, I've, I've been adamant about that for decades. I don't like commercial breaks. I mean, yeah. if you force me to watch commercials, they, put them at the. Mm-hmm. I would prefer it if they changed up the formula to where they played the movie uncensored, but they did a block at the beginning and a block at the end. That's exactly what I was just going to say. Yep. Oh, the, okay. you know, concentrate yeah, on like that at the start peacock and at the end. Yeah. Do they? I have the commercial free Peacock, so I'm not even sure how they handle commercials there. Yeah, um, they just, but when yeah, you watch the I, movies, they just do like the beginning commercials and then they play the whole movie. That's cool. Yeah, that's the way to do it. So there you go. That's that's a, some kudos for Peacock there, which I'm sure a lot of us will be on this weekend as a certain Haddonfield Killer it has his final film debuting on Peacock uh, tomorrow, actually, as we record final, this. Final. You know they're going to remake that shit in fucking a year later with, uh, Dennis, Larry, with Dennis Larry as Loomis. Did you say hey, Dennis Larry? It's Loomis. <laughs> hey, look, he's got to block his eyes right there. Chain smoking? Yeah. <laughs> I got to go hunt this Michael Myers guy. Uh, Michael's an asshole. Yeah, come on. <laughs> That's better than any of the movies we've got so far already. My idea. Honestly, yeah, I, I, I have a not to go off on a tangent, but yeah, I, I have a weird relationship with the Halloween franchise. There's like two or three that I absolutely love and the rest I don't give a shit about. <laughs> I, I know a lot of people probably have that relationship with the Halloween franchise, but man, you know, it's you know, it's you know, it's kind of sad when you, one of my favorite ones is the one without Michael Myers and it gets closer and closer. To that yeah. Oh, that's my favorite in the franchise, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just picked up that 4K. Absolutely. Oh, I got got the 4K myself. Yeah. Very cool. All right, folks. Well, that is our review of Cemetery Gates. Hope you enjoyed it. And I guess that'll do it for episode 12 of Creature Comforts. And yes, we missed our one year anniversary with Derek. So, Derek, happy anniversary, my friend. (laughs) I'm alive. Well, you know what that means? Time to get the beers out and get this vape pen going. There you go. 
<laughs> so on that note, my friends, I wish you a wonderful evening, a great Halloween. You know, hope you enjoy the rest of your October. Thank you very much for joining us again. I genuinely appreciate anyone taking time to listen to our crazy ramblings about the silly movies that, that we watch. Excuse me. So on behalf of Derek B and Mr. Don and Ellie, this is Mr. Venom saying thank you very much for joining us. And we'll see you on episode 13. Take care, folks. Goodbye, Later. precious. Later. <laughs> Gollum should have been in this movie. <laughs>